And good morning, Calvary. How are you? Good morning to our podcast listeners as well. We are just so thankful that you are here today. We're entering a, a season of, of Easter and, and Lent and all those wonderful things. As we're going through this, I, I want to just pause today and just celebrate one little thing, though. Um, about three years ago, people started giving to this campaign. And this campaign was called Expand. At the time, we were having four services in what is currently our first through fourth grade room. That was our auditorium if you can imagine that. And we were gathering together and we started realizing we have kids coming out of our ears. This place is busting at the seams and we need to, we asked people to give and they started giving sacrificially. And now um, this last week we crossed over the gifts coming in of over $2 million towards that campaign and paying off the building. So we want to celebrate that. And here's the thing, many people are still giving, and that's a great thing, because as you're giving, you're going to enable us to repair the roof. Our roof over there is uh, leaking a little bit. We knew that. We were going to get that prepared, and, and I just want to say thank you. And it's exciting to see what we're doing, but why are we doing this? Well, we've tripled in size in five years. We've tripled in size, and that in itself is exciting, but let me just say this. That's not why we do it. If you're going to count numbers, the one number I care about is, oh, we've had over 150 people following baptisms in the last five years. And that's the number that matters. Another thing that matters is we've been able to start Wellspring in cooperation with some other churches, a Christian counseling center that have helped save marriages and, and helped uh, individuals who are struggling with deep stuff to, to struggle and, and to really grow in that. Our Celebrate Recovery continues to go. SOBA continues to go. We've seen marriages change. We've seen individuals change. And we've seen mission teams go out through all over the world. And this is why we're doing this, because we believe the power of the gospel changes lives. It's not about a building. It's about expanding the kingdom of God. And this coming week, we have another team going out, a little group of missionaries that's going out for a week, and this team is going to Haiti. If there's anybody in the room going to Haiti this next week, we'd invite you to stand up right now, but we're going to pray for this team. There may be in the other services. Let's pray just for the people who are going to Haiti. Father, we thank you for those that are about to head out to Haiti to work um, with the orphanage there, to work with the town, and to help proclaim your name. God, we are thankful for a church that sends. And God, send us out into our mission fields, wherever that may be, our schools, our work, just everyone we come in contact with at the grocery store, the gas station, the bank. God, help us to be little missionaries, helping people know of your love. In your name we pray. Amen. Last week, Trevor uh, Drew was up here talking about the vantage point. He did a good job of launching it out. And as we're talking about this, he challenged you to read through Luke chapter 23 and 24 and 25. And the reason we do that is we want you to understand what it was like to remember as followers of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here, we're glad you're here. We want you to understand why we go through this story every single year. Because it can be like, why are you going through this story every single year? We, we got it. But I think it's important for us to pause and reflect and to really understand what this looks like. You know why? Because the first time I heard the, the, the story as a child, or not the first maybe, but one of the first ones, I remember crying at how somebody could do that to Jesus. How could someone hang him on a cross and, and put nails through his hand? But as an adult, it's very easy for me to go, yeah, it's the Easter story. So today I want us to dive through this and I want us to be reminded as we're looking at the story of the two criminals found in Luke chapter 23. 
And what is kind of a heavy message, but hopefully you'll see the other side of it as we get through it and to be reminded of what Jesus did for us. In Luke chapter 23, verse 32, we find the story. Two other criminals who were also led away to be executed with him. Him was Jesus. And when they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there. Along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. And the people stood watching and even the leaders kept scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself. If this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. The one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Well, then save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, Don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, I assure you, today we will be with me in paradise. This story is often used to talk about controversial theology. It's talking about the idea sometimes used as a way to say that when we are baptized, and we, we are baptized, we baptize here, we believe it's commanded you, you should be baptized if you're following. But this story is often used to say you don't have to be baptized to become a Christian because the criminal, Jesus said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, they didn't take him off the cross and then baptize him, Right? So we always talk about how baptism is the testimony. It's the wedding reception after the wedding. It's a command that God asks us to do. But you know what? That's not really the point of this passage. And sometimes we can get caught up in passages and miss the point of the passage. And so today, I want to leave those things behind. And I want us to really understand what was the view of these two criminals. I want you to realize what they were going through. I want you to try to imagine yourself being there, watching them, hanging on the cross, one on the right and one on the left. What were the smells like? It would not have been a good smell. What was the sight, the, the gore? Like, really, really gory. What would it have been like to be there to witness the presence and the countenance of who Christ was? What would it have been like to have been in that room? What would you have felt as you anguished and were in agony? What, what was it like? Those two criminals, they, they would have been escorted up with Jesus. They would have watched and, and heard everyone yell and, and mock him. And they would have been mocked as well. You know why? Because when you were crucified, it was not supposed to be a picnic. The crucifixion was supposed to be cruel. It was supposed to be cruel with this mindset. It, it's supposed to be public humiliation and excruciating pain to the nth degree because we don't want other people to do the crimes that these people have done. We want it... We want you to see that if you do what they did, you're going to suffer in an awful way. That was the point of crucifixion. 
And so when Jesus was hanging there on the cross, when the criminals were hanging on the cross, when anybody was hanging on a cross as a point of punishment, the idea was we want the pain to last a long time, and we're going to control when you die, and we want you to gasp for breath until you're coming to a place when you're begging for your breath to cease. And they would have brought the crowds to mock. And they would have tortured them not only with the physical pain, but with their words. And watching Jesus go through this as they were going through it, they would have heard him say, you know, things like, Father, forgive them because they know not what they're doing. Be with my mother. They would have said all those things. They would have seen it. When Jesus says, it is finished, they would have been like, whoa, you know, they would have seen all of that. I think they were sitting there going, What's going on? You see, the reaction of the crucifixion was supposed to be a moment where people thought to themselves, I don't want to go through what he is going through, so I don't want to do what he did. But what did Jesus do? That's that's the amazing thing. What'd he do? And when you look at this and you break through this and you, and you start walking through this, he, he got to the place where he was convicted of being a criminal. So let's ask ourselves, what is a criminal? I'm going to give you Daniel Barry's definition of a criminal first. So you don't have to write that down. And then I'm going to give you the dictionary.com definition of criminal. Is that all right? Here's the Daniel Barry definition of a criminal. A criminal is a person who lives for himself. Why? Because that's what all criminals do. That's what crimes are. Crimes are tragedies of humanity. Moments of selfish actions that cause pain and infliction and hurt others. Here's the deal. We're all criminals because we've all hurt humanity. But dictionary.com gives a few definitions of what a criminal is. And the first one that they give us is this. A, cri a crime is an action or an instance of negligence that is deemed injurious to the public welfare or morals or to be the interest of the state and that is legally prohibited. A lot of wars in there. In other words, you did something that was so bad that we had to punish you. And what you did caused pain and punishment to other people. So you're a criminal. We get that, right? If you go murder someone, you're going to pay the price. And the reason you go to jail if you murder someone is because we not only need to pay, you need to pay justice, but it's actually a prohibitive of keeping other people from having to go through. In other words, if you're punished, other people are going to go, I don't want to get punished. But if you're punished, we also go, okay, I know this is wrong because you hurt humanity. But there's another part of this. Because if I go, why would Jesus need to die for this? I don't think he did anything that fits that description. Another definition. Second definition. Any offense or serious wrongdoing or sin. Any offense. Any offense. Okay, so if I were to pull the room, I'm not going to. No one raised their hand. If I were to pull the room and I were to say, how many of you would consider yourself a criminal? <laughs> we'd probably, some of you would go, I'm a criminal. And we'd go, well, I want to move over here. You know, that kind of thing. And some of you would go, I, you know, I'm totally innocent. And I would go, are you? Because any, any offense, have anybody, can we all admit that maybe we've all committed crimes? Do you know how I know? 
Okay, who all has ever been, maybe we can respond to this, who all has ever been at a stoplight at 3 a.m. in the morning? You know what I'm talking about? That stoplight that turns red and stays red for like a minute and 45 seconds, you know it because you've timed it. Because every single time you stop there, you sit there and you think, this is the most ridiculous stoplight known to humanity. And it's 3 a.m. And you're like, and you come right up to the, 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 the line and all of a sudden the light turns red and you're sitting there and you're faced with the point of contradiction. It's 3 a.m. I can see miles to the left, miles to the right, Miles in front of me and miles behind me. Now, I know there's a cop around the corner with the lights off. I know it, right? But is anybody really going to care if I run this light? Right? And so you're faced with this choice. And so what you do is you sit there and you go, okay, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then you start edging out. And then before you know it, you've gone through the light. Now, if you're Trevor, you sit there and go, that's no big deal. I just do it, right? He's laughing in the back going, yep, that's me. If you're Daniel, you're sitting there going, I just committed a crime. (laughs) Why? And then you feel guilty and you can't sleep the next three days. Because the reality is, whether you felt the way Trevor did or whether you felt the the way Daniel did, you did commit a crime. The law says you can't go through the red light. You get it? And here's the reality. Crimes are laws to help humanity be steered in the right direction. Respecting. Why, why do we not run through the red light so we don't injure someone else? We don't crash into someone else. And when we start rationalizing those things away, we become dangerous. But here's the third one. The third definition. Because some of you are like, I still wouldn't do that. I would, I would sit at that red light. I wouldn't cross. Any, uh, the third definition of a, a crime is a foolish, senseless, or shameful act. Hmm. Foolish, senseless. Yeah, we've all done that. Have we not? And some of you are like, Daniel, this is the most depressing sermon I have ever heard. Great. It's going to get more. Because here's the definition of what a criminal is. A criminal is one who commits a crime. And by this definition, we're all criminals. Now think about this. If we're all criminals, then we all deserve the punishment that is appropriate for criminals to receive. We're all supposed to do this. We're all guilty. We're before God and humanity. We've all done something that is selfish. We've all done something that was for ourselves. We've all done something that was to the detriment of the society we live in. In other words, we thought to ourselves, my dignity is more important than your dignity. I'm going to do what I want to do. And we trample on other people. And when we trample on other people, we are guilty of being criminals. Just like the one on the left and the one on the right of Jesus. But not Jesus. And yet Jesus died for us. But we're going to come back to that. Instead, I want want you to ask this question right now. If we know that living this way, if we know that when we commit these crimes or sins or offenses against humanity and dignity are bad, Why do we do them anyways? The first way. Why do we live this way? Because sin is fun for a season. People sometimes fight me on this. And here's what I would say. If you don't know sin is fun for a season, then you haven't sinned right. (laughs) And I'm not trying to glorify sin because sin is fun for a season. There's always consequences. But the reason we sin is because we want what we want. 
There's a sense of self-immediate gratification. There's a cookie on the plate in front of me. It belongs to my twin brother. Not anymore. I'm going to enjoy that cookie until the cookie's gone. And then I have to face the consequences. Sin is fun for a season. And then my twin brother comes in and we got to go a couple rounds. You know what I'm saying? That was relived my life over and over and over again growing up, right? Sin is fun for a season. I want to go this way. I want to do that. I want to do this. And, and so what ends up happening is we grab whatever that proverbial cookie is in your life. And you sit there and you go, I'm going to consume this. And this is what satisfies myself until you realize it doesn't satisfy the longing that you really need. Here's another reason why we live this way. We know that the wicked can prosper for a while. You don't believe me? Read Psalms like every other verse. Not literally. That's a hyperbole. Slight exaggeration to point. It's like every other verse, though, throughout the Psalms is like, why do the wicked prosper? Why do the wicked prosper? Why do the wicked prosper for a while? Until it catches up to us. But here's the reality. It always does. That affair will be found out. It will. The lie will come to light. The crimes of our past will leave us exposed. And like the criminals on the cross that we are, we will be ashamed, taunted, and ridiculed for what we have done. Death is imminent. Y'all cheer yet? The hardest reality that we face is that we think that we can get away with stuff, but you can't. It always comes back. So, what do we do? Faced with this reality, that the ones that deserve to be hung on that cross is us. What do we do with that reality when we, we sit there and you go, oh, I, I don't want to believe that my... And some of you are like, I don't really believe you. That, that's really not... Gonna, it is going to come to light. You know how I know it's going to come to light? Because even if the actual sin doesn't come to light, what ends up happening is when you chase after the care of pleasing self... You're going to continue to please self. So if I treat someone else bad during the day and I come home, I can't suddenly be great godly spiritual dad. Because the crimes that we are actually committing aren't actually the rules that we are breaking, but it's the reflection of the attitude of the heart. What we're ultimately guilty of isn't what's written on a paper or a line that we cross, but what's really we're breaking is the heart of who we were made to be. Men and women who were chasing after treating others with respect and dignity and worth and value. Treating ourselves with worth and value. As sons and daughters of the king who were made in the image of God. And, and when we do these things and we think no one else knows we're fooling no one but ourselves. Because selfishness will always lead to selfishness. So when we become convicted, and when the time comes for us to face the consequences of our days, 
when the time of prospering in our wicked ways ceases, how do we live? Two choices. Ironically and intentionally, I believe, one of the two ways that the criminals did on the cross. The first one, to stay focused on yourself forever. That's what one criminal did. He said, then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Then save yourself and us. He stayed focused on himself. So continue doing that. Deny. Refute. Be obstinate. Tell your pastor he's wrong. I'm wrong quite often. Ask me. I am. I'll be glad to admit it. We'll go round and round. You're wrong. I know I am. But I'm not wrong about this. The reality is your sin will catch up with you, but you could keep denying it. And when the criminal was doing this, why wouldn't he do this? Why wouldn't he come at Jesus? Do you know why? Because his whole life had been focused on himself. Why would he change now? I think when he was mocking Jesus, there's a little bit of Daniel Berry's interpretation, okay? When he was mocking Jesus on the cross, when he was sitting there going, hey, why don't you come down and save yourself? He was sitting there thinking to himself, because that's what I would do. When you spend your whole life from the time you're born into the time you die living for yourself, the self-gratification isn't going to end when you become caught red-handed. And in his mind, if this really was the king of kings, the Lord of lords, God himself, why wouldn't he come off that cross? And if you're going to live the rest of your life living for yourself, you're going to die in the punishment and in the consequences of it. But there's another way to look at it. The second way the criminal, the other criminal viewed it is to turn your focus to the cross. Even in dying, he saw something different. But the other answered, rebuking him, don't you even fear God? Since you're undergoing the same punishment, we are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What would make him come to the place to to realize that this was actually God himself? What would allow this man to see that Jesus was real? He wasn't one of his disciples. This wasn't somebody who'd been following Jesus around everywhere. What made him in that moment? I think he came to the place where he understood that only a man who was actually innocent and who he was, was, who he said he was, would do this. You know why? Because the only crime he was guilty of was not denying before Pilate that he was God. All he had to do is go, Pilate, I'm not God. Free! So what C.S. Lewis says, Jesus was either the greatest liar that the world has ever known, he was the either biggest lunatic the world has ever known, or he was Lord. There's the only three options. Historically, you can't prove, you cannot deny the proof that Jesus existed. So he was one of those three things. And if he was Lord, I think this man suddenly realized, I've lived my whole life for me. I'm guilty. Hey, other criminal, you've lived your whole life for you. You're guilty. But no one would die for themselves. If they were living really for themselves, then they would keep doing that thing. And then they would sit there and they'd go, I am now going to lie. I'm not God. Free me. Because that's what self-preservation does. 
And in that moment, I think he realized this truly was God. So one mocked him, and one accepted the hope. And through the cross of Jesus, we see that it's the supreme symbol of God's conquering presence in the world. In his death, Jesus nailed down his eternal love so that no one would have to suffer. No one would have to live eternally separated from the humanity we were all exposed, supposed to experience. One of dignity and hope and love. So why do we go through this heavy story? Why do we have to face the story of the cross? Because I want to ask you this simple question today. Are you living in the dignity of the humanity you were made to live? Are you finding the value as a man or a woman made in the image of God? Or do you keep longing to plug those holes of your life with something out there that you hope is an instant gratification? You grab that cookie off the plate knowing there's going to be consequences later, but you just need something to get by in that moment because you're going through it over and over again, trying to find a way to fill the longing of your heart. The longing of your heart will never be filled by chasing after the things you think you need. It can only be filled by finding the dignity you were made to experience, which is a relationship with Jesus. So how do we get there? Well, 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10 says this. Now I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For your godly grief produces a repentance not to be regretted and leading to salvation. But worldly grief produces death. I love the book of Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, First and 2 Corinthians, because it's written to a church that's a lot like America. We, they, it was a fluent church. They had a lot of money. You're like, I don't have a lot of money. Compared to the rest of the world, you probably have a lot of money. I won't throw the blanket and say everyone, but most of us in this room have a lot of money. And they had a lot of different cookies on their plates they could eat. A lot of temptations. And he comes to the, Paul writes there and he says, you know what? In life, you're going to grieve. You're going to grieve the way you lived to your dying day Longing for that next thing, longing for that satisfaction, longing for something else to fill the meaning, the void of your life. You're going to grieve knowing that there's something out there that you're missing, and you will grieve, which will ultimately lead to death. Or you will grieve the life that you lived that caused you to miss that, knowing that you missed it. And in that grief, you will realize that that path will not lead you to the place you need to go. And you will give it up, leading to repentance, which repentance just means turning around, coming to the place of the cross and find hope and healing. So here's our two applications. Grieve a life that is not fulfilling or grieve a life that leads to repentance and thus leading to our Monday morning application. Grieve your sins. That's so cheery. 
but grieve them. Taking them seriously, giving them to Jesus in order to be healed. You know what we do a lot of times at church? Because we as pastors like to do nice cheery messages. Because when you do cheery messages, you get a lot of, that was a very cheery message, pastor. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And if we're not careful, that's what church always is. Right? It's a place where we go and everybody's like, God, I live their life together. And so you've heard me say this before. It's a place where you come and you create an environment where everybody drives up. And you just yelled at your kids in the parking lot. And you turn around and mom or dad turns around and goes, everybody put on your smiles. We're going to church. And you walk to go, hey, how's it going? You do it you know, that kind of thing. I'm doing good. You're doing good. We're all doing good. Everybody's doing good. We're at church. And we treat church like a country club full of people who have their life together instead of the hospital full of the broken, a hospital full of the people who are sitting there going, I'm broken. You're broken. We're all broken. The pastor's broken. The guy playing the piano's broken. We're all broken. Sorry, AJ. <laughs> We're all broken. And the reason we're broken is because we've lived for us. So today, from the viewpoint of criminals, convicted as people who've lived for ourselves at the detriment of others in humanity, would you realize it's time to grieve? What do you need to grieve? What do you need to grieve? That moment in your life, that thing that you need to give up, that thing you need to realize is controlling your life, that is taking you away from being the husband, the father, the single person, the friend, the son, the daughter. What do you need to grieve that's keeping you from being the employee? What do you need to grieve? What is the sin? What is the struggle? What is the thing that you need to relent? What is the thing that you need to sit there and you go, I am so tired of this controlling my life? The anger, the worry, the addiction, the lies that are perpetual. Hear me. It's not so easy just to go, well, I'm going to do that and get better because sometimes we have to go through the earthly consequences. The criminal still died. But then he lived again. And I can't promise you that what lies ahead, if you truly grieve and try to make life anew, that you're going to go, okay, but, but listen, honey, I'm, I'm really ready to be new. That she's going to go, all right. Because she may have to deal with her own anger and her own issues too. But what I can tell you is that on the other side of this struggle, there is a Savior who will walk you every step of the way. And that he doesn't want you to live a life spoon-feeding yourself with the addiction of self. He wants you to know that his way is the right way. And that he loves you. One of the most common things I hear as a pastor is, you don't know what I've done, pastor. Right. And let me be honest with you, I don't really want to know what you've done. I'll listen. But the reason I don't have to know is because Jesus knows already. And when you confess to him and come before him, he does love you. You know how I know it? 
because he was an innocent man. And greater man, greater love has no man than he who lays down his life. And he did for us. So grieve. Go through this sin, this season, knowing that God will provide a way. He already has. And his name is Jesus. If you've never accepted Jesus, I want you to realize that this life will never be fulfilling apart from that. We'd love to see you baptized in a few weeks, but knowing that the baptism is the wedding reception after the wedding. We want to invite you to the wedding, which is having an eternal relationship with the King of Kings. And we'd love for you to stop by the next step space out there directly afterwards and say, I want to know what it means to be a Christian and let us talk to you through it. Would you do that? You can even go there now. To the Christians in the room, it's important for us to celebrate this season, even though sometimes it's hard, to be reminded of the grace that Jesus poured out. And that's what it is. It's an amazing grace. Because he came and he, he broke our chains, like the song we're about to sing. The chains that are keeping us from finding the dignity and the hope in the world that we need, he broke them. You don't have to live in bondage because God's grace, his gift, his love is for us. But yet, no buts, it's for us. And so we rejoice in the power of the resurrected king, but we rejoice in the one who is willing to die so that he could be resurrected. We rejoice in the fact that our shackles are no longer going to control us or bind us or bond us. We rejoice in the grace of the great Jehovah Jireh, the great provider, who is here is present and is waiting for you to trust in who he is. Is that exciting? I don't know. That's exciting. So Father, move. Come in and help us to celebrate you. God, as we grieve even now, may the shackles of the sins that have encumbered our lives begin to break. Take us into more of your presence and show us who you are. Father, we love you in so many ways and are thankful for who you are and all you've done for us. As we sing of your grace, show us it's real. Thank you for the view of the cross.